Lord, that's why we're here, is to exalt and magnify and lift up your name. You are worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, to be honored. And Lord, what a privilege it is that we can simply say, I love you, to Abba Father, our Daddy. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you. Lord, as we go to your word now, may you be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one. Amen? So raise your hand. We'll put a Bible in your hand. Again, if you don't have a Bible at home, or if you just like that one better, feel free to take that as our gift to you. All right? Somebody asked me a while back, it was okay if they had two of them. I said, that if you're going to read them both, take two. All right? We want you to have God's Word. All right? Well, we're going to pick up in Galatians 5, but before we do... We have a baby dedication this morning, which I love. And as fast as we're having babies around this church, we'll just be having one every week, I think, from now on, which is a blessing. So if Robert and Ashley will come on up and bring Uriah with them. You know, I I tell you what a blessing it is to have children being raised in Christian homes. Amen? Amen? By godly parents who love the Lord, who love them, and... Is this kid cute or what? Okay, let me hold him. Hi, Uriah. Hi, buddy. Say hi to everybody. I don't even know it, but everybody's looking at you. This handsome boy. I'm, my mom's over there. It's okay. All right, well, let's pray for, for this entire family. Lord, we just lift up the Gibsons to you, Lord. I thank you for Uriah. I thank you, Lord, that he's been born into a godly home. I thank you for Robert and Ashley, Lord, just watching them as they came here, not yet even married, and then, Lord, their courtship time, and now they're married, and now you've brought this precious son into their home, and Father, I just lift them up as a family to you. Pray for Robert, Lord, you'd help him to be the man of God you want him to be, the spiritual leader in his home. I pray that Uriah would be able to look at his dad and see what a godly man looks like, be able to pattern his life after the life of his earthly father, as his earthly father patterns his life after his heavenly father. Lord, I lift up Ashley to you as well, and I just thank you for a godly mom. And I pray for her, Lord, you would bless and minister to her. And Lord, give her the strength she needs, Lord, to to parents and to minister to, to Uriah. Father, may he know the love of God through the love of his mom. And Lord, we lift up this little boy to you. We pray in Jesus' name that he would just grow up to be a mighty young man for you. Father, we dedicate his life to you completely. We put him into your hands because ultimately, Lord, we know he belongs to you. And Lord, you've given him to Robert and Ashley to care for. So Lord, we we just pray that as you tarry, and Lord, if you do not come back soon, that Father, he would grow to be a mighty young man of God, that you would gift him in mighty and powerful ways, Lord. And Father, that his life would count for eternity. Lord, that he would come to know you, and Lord, he'd impact others for your kingdom. So, Father, we thank you and praise you for Uriah. May your blessings be upon him and upon the entire Gibson family. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You were a good boy, Uriah. All right. God bless you guys. How cute is he? All right. Galatians chapter 5. Now, we left off last week in the last few verses of Galatians 5. Again, as you know, 
People sometimes ask me, and I'll just clarify why I do it. People say, Pastor Dave, why do you review every week? Because you guys forget every week. Because we need to be reminded, amen? I was a youth pastor for a long time, and I want you to remember what Galatians is about when we're in Revelation, all right? And so there's a lot of repetition because you've been at work this week, other things have gone on in life, and you don't, if I asked what's the title of last week's message, you'd be in trouble because you wouldn't remember. But just by way of quick review, Galatians, again, is the letter written by Paul to the churches in Galatia. Galatia was not a city but a region Within that area were Lystra, Iconium, several other cities where Paul had planted churches. Word got back to him that they had turned away from the gospel of grace and legalism had come into Galatia through men known as the Judaizers. They were men who taught that it wasn't enough to be born again. It wasn't enough to believe in the cross of Christ. You still had to be circumcised and you still had to keep the law of Moses. And as we've said many times, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. If we add to the cross of Christ, we make Jesus a liar when he said on the cross, it is finished. And so these Judaizers had come in and Paul writes this, I believe, the most exhortive of all of his letters that he starts right off the bat by saying, how could you so quickly turn away from the gospel of grace? It's amazing how you've turned so quickly to the doctrine or the gospel of men. And because of that, he even said it was anathema or accursed. He then went on to tell them that it's by, by faith we are justified, not by works. And again, as we've talked about, our faith will produce works, but works do not save us. Because if works could save us, Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. So he's been going through Galatians and he's been reemphasizing again the, the curse of the law. And the fact that the law is simply a taskmaster to lead us to the cross. That the law doesn't exist as the standard for salvation, but the standard that shows us we need salvation. It shows us our need for a Savior. So the first four chapters, he's, again, very heavily talking to them both about legalism and about license. The theme of Galatians is liberty. We have liberty or freedom in Christ. Not freedom to sin, but freedom from sin. And so... This liberty that we have, when we get to chapter 5, now he begins to apply it to the lives of the people in Galatia. He goes from from doctrine, doctrinal truth, to now applying it and directing them how to walk in it, how to live a life set apart unto God. And it's not through legalism, it's not through keeping of the law, but it's by walking in the Spirit, as we saw last week. He said last week, walk in the Spirit, and that was the title of the message, by the way, Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, I want to just quickly go over those real, again because I believe it's so important that you and I realize that as Christians, that we're born again, we're new creations in Christ, but we still battle with our flesh, don't we? Now again, the Bible says we're to put it to death daily. But if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know what I think about when I think about this? I think about Moses. You know, Moses was up on Mount Sinai for 40 days, and he didn't eat or drink during that entire time. And I don't think it was because he was trying to fast to prove to God how holy he was. I think he was so focused on the Lord, he didn't even get hungry. And I think that's the key, is that as we walk in the Spirit and our eyes are on the Lord and we're seeking after Him with our whole heart, we will not be distracted by the things of this world. You know what? i got a one-track mind. I don't know about you. And it's hard for me, when I'm focused on the Lord, to be thinking about anything else. 
And this was, again, the example. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, last week, I'm going to go through the list really quickly just to catch you up, because we're going to contrast that this morning. The lust of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. The, the life that is led in the flesh. What does it look like when someone's walking in the flesh? Now, last week, we saw four types of sin that were predominant for those walking in the flesh. The first one was sexual sin. We talked about it last week, adultery. Adultery is not just having an affair. It's not a catered affair. I don't like that word, right? We try to dumb down sin. It's an affair. No, it's adultery. And God has called us one man for, with one woman for a lifetime. That's God's plan, amen? Now, if you're here to, to this morning and you have committed adultery at some time in your life, God is a forgiving God, Amen? He's a forgiving God, a gracious God, a loving God. But as Christians, if we're walking in the Spirit, we will not commit adultery. We won't. You cannot be walking in the Spirit and committing adultery. I'm always blown away when you hear about pastors who've had adulterous relationships for six months and they're teaching on Sunday morning. I'm absolutely blown away. How in the world do you do that? I have no idea. Because you know what? You're walking in the flesh. And God's not going to bless that. He also talked last week about fornication. The word there is pornea, where we get the word for pornography. It speaks of sexual immorality. And again, it was so widespread in Paul's day that it was like a normal part of life. Does that sound familiar? And I said last week, and I'll say it again, that you know what? We should also not be entertained by these sins as well. You might say, well, yeah, I'm not going to commit fornication. I'm not going to go out and sleep with somebody I'm not married to. But yet we'll go and watch movies where they do the very same thing. Now, I'm not being legalistic. I want to say, because legalism is me, you know, pointing, putting upon you, again, a conviction I have. But I think this is just a biblical principle. How can we participate or watch the very sins that Christ died for and not be convicted? I think if we're doing that, we're walking in the flesh. How can we enjoy it unless we're walking in the flesh? Because if we're walking in the Spirit, we're going to be convicted and we're going to be grieved. We also saw the word uncleanness is the opposite of purity. This is any kind of sexual act outside of marriage. Not just, you know, quote, going all the way. So, sex outside of marriage, period, is outside of God's will. Regardless of what Bill Clinton might try to tell you, all right? Now, lewdness or licentiousness, depending on what translation of the Bible you have, basically just means a public and open uncleanness. No sense of shame or embarrassment about sin. And I talked about the day of decadence in New Orleans last week and how they have this thing where 300,000 homosexuals come and they walk down the street with no clothes on. And it's amazing how the storm hit three days before that was supposed to take place. You draw your own conclusions from that. But here's the point. Lewdness is just an open unashamedness about your sin. Having no shame over your sin. No conviction. That only happens as we walk in the flesh. Not only sins, sexual sins, there were sins against God. Idolatry which is the worship of any other God except the true and living God. Now, most of us will say, well, I don't have any idols in my house. Well, maybe not. But you know what idols we do have in this country? Our career, our, our homes. Anything we put before God is an idol. Often it's sports. You know what? I've, as a youth pastor for 15 years, I was blown away by the number of parents whose kids wouldn't come to church for six months because they're on a tournament hockey team. And I'd say, so, but what you're saying then is, Hockey's more important than God. Well, no, no, it's not. Well, yes, it is, because that's the action you're showing your children. Amen? Now, again, not being legalistic, just saying, look, if you love God, where do you want to be? If you're walking in the Spirit, you want to spend time in fellowship. We also saw sorcery. The word for sorcery was pharmakia. 
Again, we get the word for pharmaceuticals we talked about last week, that as Christians, we don't need drugs. We got Jesus, amen? I'm high on the Lord. I don't need anything else. Be not drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as I said last week, I, you know, and this is Pastor Dave's opinion, so I'll make it real clear that it is. We don't need to be smoking any pot. We don't need medical marijuana, amen? I get in so much trouble every time I say it because we're in Santa Cruz. We just opened our medical marijuana plant, Ooh, right? It's on the front page of the paper, right? We, I, we need a little few different priorities around here, amen? And they always tell me, and I said it last week, well, but it's natural. It grows out of the ground. I said, so does uranium. So does mercury. I'm not smoking that either, amen? And the point is here, it's pharmacia. It's anything, because what, what do drugs do? They open up the path to the occult. That's why the word here is sorcery. So when we're walking in the flesh, what does our life look like? It's filled with sexual sin. It's filled with self-gratification. It's filled with the worship of other gods. He goes on to talk about things like sins against individuals. Hatred. Hatred is the inner motivation that produces a great amount of sin. Because after that, he talks about contentions, which is strife or quarreling. A combative spirit. You've met people like this, right? Always ready to argue. That's walking in the flesh. If you're walking in the spirit, you're not going to argue at the drop of a hat. You're not going to blow a head gasket over, you know, I call it having a short fuse, right? You just get, you walk by them, and they explode, right? You know people like that. That's walking in the flesh. As Christians, it should not be so. If we're walking in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He talks about jealousies, outbursts of wrath, which are sudden flashes of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, which is dividing among the brothers, false teaching, envy, murder, and then finally, sins in a social setting, which include drunkenness. And I told you last week that I have my own opinion on whether or not Christians should drink alcohol, period, but I'm not going to get legalistic with you, but let me just say this, that if you're drinking with the intent to get a buzz, that's drunkenness, period. If you're having a glass of wine because you like the way it makes you feel, that's not good. Why? Because you should have that peace in the Lord. Having a glass of wine with dinner with your wife, that's between you and the Lord. If you have a peace about it, I'm certainly not going to say anything against that. But what I would tell you is, what is your motivation for having alcohol? Be not drunk with wine. You know what? You can't get drunk if you don't take the first drink. It's amazing how that works. Amen? amen. I, know, I know that hit so many people in the kitchen, nobody said amen. <laughs> Isn't that true? All right, the next word was revelries, and this is, again, somebody who's into partying. And he says, and then he says, and the like. So this isn't even the complete list, but if you walk in the flesh, this is what your life looks like. If you're walking in the flesh, there's sexual immorality, there's idolatry, there, you're pursuing other things before God, and you know, you're into partying and feeding your flesh, and that's the life of the flesh. Now he's going to contrast that. Now what he says at the end of that verse, at the end of verse 21, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, wait a minute. If I've been born again, I'm going to heaven, right? Yes, you are. Once saved, always saved. Do you believe that, Pastor Dave? Yes, I do. I do believe that. But I also believe this. I also believe that if we're truly saved, we will abide. Now, I don't, it doesn't mean we won't sin. How many of you guys sinned this week? Raise your hand. Okay. I could say this morning, your hands would probably still be up, amen? The point is that we're sinners saved by grace. And praise God for His grace, aren't you glad? But at the same time, the connotation here is walking in habitual sin without conviction. 
Just living in it and no conviction, no brokenness. When I sin, when you sin, the way we know how we're growing spiritually in maturity is how quickly we're convicted. The closer you are to God, the amount of, it is defined to my mind by the amount of time from when you sin to when you repent. It goes from, day, from weeks or months to days to hours to minutes to seconds. Amen? And when you, you know, and as we grow in the Lord, it just grips us immediately when we sin. And that's a sign of someone who's walking with God. And somebody who can continue on in sin without conviction and make excuses for it, well, that's between them and the Lord. It's not for me to judge someone's salvation. But it says here in this text, they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? I wouldn't want to stand before all God having lived in an adulterous relationship for five years. I wouldn't want to do that. Why? Because according to this text, with that lack of repentance, I'd be concerned about whether or not that person really knew the Lord. Man, we're getting straight to it, aren't we? But praise God for His Word. But it's practice, it's habitual. Now, we're going to move from that to the fruit of the Spirit. So you've seen the the lust of the flesh. I went over that because to remind you, that's what it looks like. Now, how should those who walk in the Spirit look? What should they reflect to the world around them? How should we be different if we're walking in the center of God's will? These final verses are a clear contrast between the fruit of the flesh, or the works of the flesh, and the fruit of the Spirit. And as we go through, first thing we're going to see is the fruit of the Spirit identified. And then after that, in two verses, we're going to identify what the fruit of the Spirit is. And then through the rest of chapter 6, we're going to see that fruit applied in our lives. So let's begin in verse 22, looking at the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit itself being identified to us. It says there in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. If you underline in your Bible anything, you should underline that. Because notice that it says the works of the flesh, and then it says the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And you know what? You could basically put a semicolon after that, and every other word after that describes love. Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Now the word there for love is agape. Praise God. All right? Guys, do pay attention. Praise the Lord. It's agape. Now agape is a selfless love. Where Aaron, or Eros, is a selfish love, a fleshly-centered love, a love that says, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? What can you do for me? This is why we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, singles. You know why? Because an unbeliever can only have Aaron love. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, they cannot have agape. So you're going to marry somebody, they can only have a relationship with you that says, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? What can you do for me? And guess what? There's always going to be somebody come along that can do more for them than you can. And so that love is going to break down because it's based on the flesh. But this is not Aaron love, which is also described as the love a newborn baby has for its mom. A newborn baby doesn't know, really know a whole lot about mom, just knows I'm hungry and if you're sleeping, get up. Right? That's Aaron love. You just scream until mom shows up. I don't care. If you went through 27 hours of back labor, get up and feed me. Right? That's Aaron love. It's all about me. Now, agape has been described as the love a mother has for the child. Where it's not about me, it's about you. I don't care that I haven't slept. I don't care that I'm tired. I'm going to get up and feed you because it's, it's about you, not about me. That's agape. It's self 
selfless love, not selfish love. And you know what agape does? It gives. And the, the greatest example of that is John 3.16, for God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so this is the fruit of the Spirit, agape, where everything we saw on the lust of the flesh list was all self-centered, all self-feeding, all self-gratifying. This is now a selfless love, giving it away. And this should be what we as Christians should look like. It's also interesting to note that the sins we all looked at were, were all counterfeits of love. What is adultery and fornication and uncleanness? They're counterfeits of love among people. What are idolatry and sorcery? They're counterfeits of love for God. What is hatred and contentions and jealousies and outbursts of wrath and selfish ambitions and envy and murders? They're the opposite of love. And what is drunkenness and revelry but an attempt to fill the void that only love can fill? So all the lust of the flesh is the exact opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. It's trying to fulfill, as you've heard, as St. Augustine said, that, that God-shaped vacuum. Sex, drugs, alcohol, you can't fill it with anything else but the Lord. And so the fruit of the Spirit, the fact that you have the Spirit living inside of you, will be reflected in the love that's coming from you. Now, how do we describe that love? The next word, joy. Now, we have joy in the Lord. Now, though, it's, it's a joy that doesn't come from earthly things. That's happiness, okay? Joy is having, you know, quote, happiness in spite of your circumstances. Happiness is based on my kids are doing great, my bills are all paid, my health is good, everything's perfect, I'm happy. You know what? If you're waiting for that, you're not going to be happy very often. Amen? But joy is something you have regardless of the circumstances, and you've heard the acronym, you've heard me share it before. An easy way to have joy is J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. If you put Jesus first and others next and yourself last, you'll have joy all the time. The problem is most of us have yoge, right? I mean, we put ourselves first. You, others, Jesus, right? And so the problem is because it's all about me, I'm not happy very often because my circumstances are rarely perfect. But that love, that fruit of the Spirit of living God living inside of me is that love pouring out of me and then the result of that is joy. I have joy no matter what. You know what, I'm getting ready to go back to India in a couple weeks and you see these people sitting on concrete floors with their legs crossed, having gone out and been beaten for their faith and studying God's word and having very little, the clothes on their back and maybe some rice to eat two days ago and they have joy. Why? Because they're filled with the spirit of the living God. Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy and it's not based on your circumstances, it's based on where you're at with the Lord. Now we know, see, it's not only joy, but it's peace. And you know what? The world thinks that peace is the absence of war, but that's not it. You know what, the, what peace is? Peace is a right relationship with God. Amen. That's what peace is. And you cannot have peace unless you know the Prince of Peace. And you know what? I praise God that we can have peace, that, I, that agape love also produces peace. Peace of mind, no matter what comes your way, based on being reconciled back to God, I have peace. So the love of God, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, living inside of me, it pours out in joy and pours out in peace. Now as Christians, if we're walking around uptight all the time, do people want to know our God? We blow our testimony when we have no peace, amen? Now again, 
I'm not saying do these things so God will love you. I'm saying these things ought to be a reflection because God loves us. Because we know him so intimately, because he's my best friend, that love ought to pour out of me and it shouldn't be based on my circumstances. And I ought to have joy. Christians shouldn't look like they've been sucking on a lemon. Amen? And it just breaks my heart. I'm born again, I'm going to heaven. Amen. Hey! Often I'll say, some of you guys will walk in church like that. You know, like someone ran over your puppy and you're just, you know, you got that. And here's the thing, I'll ask you, are you going to heaven? Well, yeah, going to heaven. That's a big deal, amen? I'm going to heaven. And because of that, and because I know Almighty God, and I don't just know about Him, but He's Abba Father, He's my Daddy, and I can know Him in an intimate, personal way. I have the love of God inside of me, and because of that I have joy that I cannot even express in words, and I have peace no matter what my circumstances. I also am long-suffering, and boy, do we struggle with this one sometimes. Long-suffering means not quickly irritated. Are you quickly irritated? If you are, you're not walking in the Spirit when you do that. Amen? That's why you've got to put that flesh to death. We talked about this last week. You've got to kill him every day. Amen? You've got to begin the day. Lord, help me. Lord, I need to spend time in His Word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in fellowship. Because if we don't, it's so easy to fall back in the things of this world. Again, if we have love and joy and peace, even during a time when people annoy us, that's long-suffering. You know what? People are blown away when people are long-suffering because not very many people are. People are blown away when they go, man, you, man, they're walking all over you. You're letting them get away with that. Hey, I'm going to heaven. It's okay. The guy got in front of you in the lane. So what? You know what I mean? Amen? Too often, though, it's like, that. I was here first, right? And it's all about me, and I, I'm getting back in front of it. And, you know, we get into that thing, and we get quickly irritated, and, and then we, you know, we cut them off, and they see our Jesus sticker on the back of our car. <laughs> but instead, what ought to happen is we ought to be long-suffering. Who suffered long? Jesus. Does he suffer long with you? Oh, man, does he suffer long with me. Man, he suffers long. Are you blown away that he still loves you sometimes? I think, I can't believe this, right? Lord, I, here I am again, right? Forgive me. And you know what? He continues to love me. And you know what? As believers, as having that agape love dwelling inside of us, we ought to be the same way to the world around us. He suffers long with us. We ought to suffer long with others. Kindness. This is having a tender concern for the well-being of others. As Christians... We ought to be concerned about the well-being of others. Not self-centered, but Christ-centered. And as we are Christ-centered, we will be other-centered. Again, Jesus, others, yourself. That's where joy comes from, and that will reflect in the way we live. Goodness. This is simply acting out kindness. It's kindness in action. Goodness is kindness in action. Goodness is having a heart for somebody and then putting feet to your faith. Not just saying, oh man, that's, that's tragic, but saying, you know what, I'm going to do something about that. That is the fruit of the Spirit. Faithfulness. What is faithfulness? Faithfulness is loyalty, dependability, being trustworthy, but somebody who does it over time. You know the people that I'm most blessed by, the people that I love, the pastors I love to listen to, are the ones who have been walking with God for a long time. Not because... You know, they have seniority with God or something. But because their lives have gone through difficulty, but they've remained faithful. And that blesses me. I want to hang out with those people, don't you? 
I want to hang out with people that are faithful even in the midst of the storm. Just as faithful in the storm as they are on the cruise ship. Just as faithful when there's no money in the bank as when every bill's paid. That's faithfulness. And that is fruit of the Spirit. Now the world's not like that, are they? If you don't know God, you can't be this way. You can't have joy in spite of your circumstances. You won't have peace. You won't be long-suffering. But as Christians, we ought to be different than the world. Verse 23 gentleness, one who is submitted to God's word and is considerate of others when they fail, one who doesn't demand his proper respect. I was a youth pastor, I used to hear that. Why did you get in a fight? Man, he wasn't respecting me, man. What are you talking about? I got to demand my respect. If I don't get my respect, oh, you know what? And they used to say, I got to get my homies back and all this stuff. Look, my best friend created the universe, he's got my back. I'm not worried about anybody else, Amen. I'm not worried about being popular with men. I'm not worried about getting my proper respect or demanding my rights. That's not what we do as Christians. We're gentle and caring, esteeming others greater than ourselves, which is the exact opposite of walking in the flesh. When we walk in the flesh, we want to be recognized. We want to be lifted up. We want to make sure that our you know, rights are looked out for. We want to demand them. We want to fight over them. It's just not right. You know what, you know what like, next time somebody does something that's just not right, don't do anything about it. Just say, okay, Lord, that's yours. Try that once. I know it's hard, amen? But, you know, the Bible doesn't say I can't sue an unbeliever, and this guy's not saved. So, you know what? That might be true. But I tell you what, what a testimony just to let it go. What a testimony to the world around you just to say, you know, it doesn't matter. It's okay. Why? Because who's in control? God is, Amen. And let God use it for His glory. Not only gentleness, but self-control. The willing constraint of one's sinful passions. Is the world in control of itself? Absolutely not. When we walk in the flesh, there's no control. When you say, if someone says, that guy's out of control, is that someone walking in the Spirit? It's someone walking in the flesh. Do we see a pretty clear contrast here between walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh? We walk in the flesh, it's all about me. I'm seeking after feeding myself, gratifying myself. And when I walk in the Spirit, it's all about Him. And there's a joy and a peace that comes from knowing He was in control. It's okay. You know what? If a huge earthquake hit here tomorrow, it's okay. If I get hit by a bus or diagnosed with cancer, it's okay. Why? Who's in control? And God knew it beforehand, amen? And He loves me, and I'm not alone. And neither are you. And it says there, against such there is no law. Now not only is there no law against love and joy and peace, but I believe more so, if a person has the fruit of the Holy Spirit, they don't need the law. I talked about this last week. You know, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you don't need the law. Because if you love your neighbor, you won't murder him. Right? If you love your neighbor, you won't steal from him. If you love your neighbor, you will not covet his possessions. If you love your neighbor, you will not commit adultery with his wife. That's why Jesus said, of all the commandments, here it is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, the, and in those two is the entire law. And so this is the key to us. Again, as we're walking in the Spirit, the love of God is going to be pouring out of us, and we won't even need the law. We can just walk in obedience to the Spirit of the living God. Because there is, against such, there is no law. Verse 24. Verse 24. And, these are, and these, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So 
what are the fruits of the Spirit? What does the fruit do? We saw what the fruit is. Now when you apply the fruit, what is the action that the Holy Spirit produces? The first action that the Holy Spirit produces as we walk, again, filled with the Spirit of the living God, is we put to death the flesh. You can't do that on your own. You cannot overcome your fleshly desires through, through, your, through your flesh. You're going to be defeated every time. If you try to overcome it by trying harder, making a list, that's why we keep coming back and praying and asking God to forgive us for the same stuff. Amen? How many of you ever prayed, Lord, I'll never do that again? And then you did it again. Right? Why? Because so often we're trying to, Lord, I just, I won't do it. Lord, I promise you, if you just let it go this time, I promise it'll never happen again. And we have this kind of relationship with God, like we're earning his favor, and then we blow it again, and we come back, and I, I really mean it this time. And you know, and man, what a vicious cycle. And it's condemning, isn't it? But you know what? Praise God that part of the work of the Spirit is putting the flesh to death. Puts the flesh to death. Last week we talked about the, the you know, flesh... And the spirit, our battle, are at odds with one another. Which one wins the battle? The one you feed the most. And we need to put our old man, our flesh, to death. And it says there, Christ have crucified the flesh. It reminds us of the cross and how we deal with the flesh. How do we deal with the flesh? We bring it to the foot of the cross. Verse 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, another thing that happens, this Holy Spirit fruit in action, is not only putting the flesh to death, but now is reflected in how we treat others. Because if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in it. By the way, I don't think you can do one without the other. If you're living in the Spirit, you will walk in the Spirit. And if you're not walking in the Spirit, you're not living in the Spirit. You're walking in the flesh. You've succumbed to the things of this world. You know, the Bible says, by your fruit they shall know you. Out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. You want to know somebody's heart? Listen to what comes out of their mouth. It doesn't slip out. You know, if, if stuff's flying out of your mouth, it shouldn't. You're in the flesh at that moment. That's a fact. If we're walking in the Spirit, if we're living in the Spirit, we'll walk in the spirit. And then what are the how does this again the spirit within us reflected in the way we treat others? It says let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You know what? I I bet I know that all of us probably agree that one of the things that is just most grievous in others is pride. You see it in other people, you just can't stand it. Right? I mean, I have, you know, minor pet peeves. I watch a football game and a guy like runs downfield, the guy gets 27 yards, the guy tackles him and gets up and thumps his chest. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, that's right. Takes his helmet off. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, you just got scorched for 27 yards. Put your helmet on. Go sit down. You know what I mean? But there's this thing where we want to be recognized and identified and we want to, again, point people to ourselves and it's conceited and arrogant. And you know what? That should not be so among believers should never be conceited. What do we have to be arrogant about? Who alone should we be boasting in? We'll see as we move on to the text. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Our arrogance provokes others and opens us up to envy. As we can begin to look at man's position as being a result of good works instead of God's grace. You know, we're arrogant because we start to think it has something to do with us. But here's the thing, when the fruit of the Holy Spirit is applied into our lives, we're not arrogant. 
when the fruit of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit again is taking action in our lives and we're walking in the Spirit, we treat others differently. Now look how it says in chapter 6, verse 1, how we treat those who are struggling. And you know what? I think we need to learn something from this, church. Look what it says. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So that means if somebody who calls themselves a Christian totally blows it, how are we to respond to them? How are we to respond? Gently, lovingly, seeking to restore them. Again, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in action in our lives and the way that we treat others should be that we respond to those who are struggling in gentleness, not with condemnation. And too often, we can get arrogant because we find out somebody else is struggling with sin or somebody else fell. Or maybe it's somebody you didn't really like that much and you find out they're blowing it and you're almost happy. I know none of you have ever done that. You know what happens? I'll, you know, I'll just be as transparent with you as I can be. There are people that will blast your pastor and you know, they, they go off half-cocked about stuff and then they go off and get in trouble and I have to be careful not to go, well, see, there it is. got to be careful to go, Lord... I need to pray for them. I need to call them, tell them I love them, reach out to them, not condemn them, not see, said, I told you so. Shouldn't have touched God's anointed, see what happens? No, not at all. But you know what I mean? Let that go right by, all right? But you know what happens is we get that arrogance, and instead of reaching out in love, we condemn. You know what? I'll tell you what. My prayer is I never fall that, in that way, but if I do, I'd hope you guys would show up on my door loving me, not condemning me. Amen? And I know you would want the same thing, wouldn't you? I told you the story before about Pastor Chuck and a guy that was real close to him in his church got involved in an adulterous relationship. And Pastor Chuck found out, got in his car, drove over to the house where he was living with this other woman now, walked into his living room, sat on the sofa, and just cried for 45 minutes. Never got a word out. Got back in his car and left. The next Sunday, the guy was back in church with his wife in marriage counseling and got their marriage back together. Because it wasn't condemnation, it was gentleness. It was coming in out of love. And man, I love, man, he just loved him so much, it just broke his heart to see what was happening, and he just wept. And you know what? That's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not pointing fingers. Yeah, I told you. You know what I mean? And legalism loves to be arrogant, doesn't it? He's, he's going against the legalists who have a list of rules, and I keep more rules than you, so I'm more godly. You know? I got more rules. And I'm glad we don't have more rules. Amen? Man, praise God. And it's impossible. And so the legalist loves to point fingers, loves to condemn, loves to tell you how you failed, and the Lord just loves to tell you how much He loves you. And how where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And if we're filled with the Spirit of the living God, we should not be condemning. We're coming alongside those who have fallen in gentleness. Why? Because our motivation ought to be restoration, not condemnation. Restore them back into fellowship. Draw them back unto the Lord. Again, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And we're to respond to that brother, not to provoke him, not to look down upon him, certainly not to destroy him, but to restore him. Because it says there, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. Because here's the other thing. We should go in with the heart to restore. And the word for restore there means to, to put in order. And our heart ought to be to come 
reaching out to that person in love, in gentleness, in meekness, in humility, but also know that when you go to that brother, you need to be mindful of the fact that, that you too could fall into that very same sin. You absolutely can. Anybody here above any sin? And we make the mistake of thinking we're above it, so then we become condemning. And if we go in with the heart of the realization that, you know, this could be me. Lord, how would I want someone to reach out to me? That's how I need to reach out to them. And that's the fruit of the Spirit in action. The fruit of the Spirit in action is gentleness. And I want to say this. When our brother has fallen, it should not be ignored and it should not be excused, but our brother should not be destroyed either. Amen? We don't excuse sin. We don't water it down. But what we do instead is we reach out in love. We don't condone but we also do not condemn. Look to restore, not to destroy your fallen brother. What else do we do? What else is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in action? Because the, the Spirit restores and the flesh destroys. But look what it says here in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Instead of attempting to bear the impossible burdens of legalism, he's now taking a shot at these guys. They, remember he said you're putting back that yoke of burden, you're returning back again to the yoke of bondage. Remember that from chapter 3? You're returning again to the yoke of bondage that is impossible to keep. Why are you putting a burden on the Jews, the Gentiles, that we couldn't keep as Jews? You're returning them again to bondage. And now in this verse he says, bear one another burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He's saying you want to fulfill the law? It's not keeping all the rules and rites and rituals. It's coming alongside and taking up the burdens of another. That's fulfilling the law of Christ. You want to fulfill the law of Christ? It's not 252 rules. It's not, the, again, the rites and the rituals. It's simply seeing the burdens of others and being willing to come alongside of them. Can I tell you something? I think one of the, the greatest things that touches me the most in the body of Christ is when somebody sees someone else's need and doesn't need anybody else to tell them, but just goes and lovingly ministers to them. Can I tell you, sometimes I am brought to tears over that. And it's stuff that I see you guys do. Somebody's hurting. Somebody just goes and loves on them and takes care of it. And I'm, I'm, it breaks my... I think, wow, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In action. There it is. No motivation. Not trying to get accolades. Not trying to have, be, you know, get the praise of men. But just out of a burden for your brother. A burden for your sister. And this fulfills the law of Christ. In Galatians 5, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, and that fruit in action should reflect in the way we selflessly love and treat others. Not legalistically, not condemning, not pointing fingers, not putting somebody down, but instead holding up a brother's hands. Reaching out to them. What's going to restore a brother? Condemnation or gentleness and love? What's going to restore them? Condemnation is only going to often drive them further away. Not only do we need to have evidence of the fruit of the Spirit and how we treat others, but also how we look at ourselves. Look at verse 3. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The legalists thought they were something, didn't they? They were pretty proud of themselves. Look how broad the, the bottom of my robe is. You know what I mean? And they love that stuff. They love to, to you know, pray in the street the Pharisees and others who are caught up in legalism and the law. And now these Judaizers, they love to talk about how legalistic they were and how many laws they kept because they thought it made them more holy. And they felt like they were something. Guess what, guys? 
You're not going to hear this in very many churches in Santa Cruz. Let me make it real clear to you. You're nothing. Ouch. I'm not going back to that church ever again. All right. Well, here's the thing. We are nothing apart from Christ. Amen? And without Him, we can do what? Nothing. And yet we'll start to think we're something. That's why we get offended. Because we think we're something. Who does he think he's talking to? He's talking to nothing. (laughs) Amen? Too often we think we're somebody. He's talking to a nobody. Amen? Amen? Now, I'm not talking about how valuable you are to God. You know what? You determine the value of something by what somebody's willing to pay for it. What was paid for you? You are as valuable as it gets. But I want to say this. In your flesh, you're nothing. In your own abilities, you're nothing. In your attempts to try to, again, be pleasing in God's sight on your own, you're nothing. Because without Him, you can do nothing. But you know what? We're everything when we're in Christ. And we are valuable to Him. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And you know who's the greatest example of this? Satan. Did Satan think he was something? He thought he was it. How'd that work out for him? He thought he was something. And he deceived himself to go and try to challenge Almighty God. By the way, that was no contest. Often people try to make Satan the opposite of God. Not even close. It's not even, there's no, not even close. We get, you know, and again, Satan's real. He's a roaring lion seeking who may devour, but sometimes we give him way too stinking much credit. He's a created being who's defeated. And he's still, I believe, under the deception that somehow he might win. You lose, Satan, you lose. I read the, I read the rest of it. Lake of fire coming. Amen? Now here's the thing. He deceived himself because he thought he was something. He started to command God. May we never think we're something, but realize we're nothing in desperate need of Him. Amen. And that'll keep us from being offended. It'll keep us from being you know, uptight and you know, quick and angry and having a short fuse. And we realize, you know what, Lord? Without you, I'm nothing. And praise God for your grace and your mercy and your love. And Lord, I won't be condemning of others because I won't think I'm something. I'll realize I'm nothing apart from you. And my heart will be broken. I'll realize I'm one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. And so the fruit of the Spirit should not only impact how we treat others, but how we examine ourselves. Verse 4, but let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Now what does that mean? Let him examine his own work. Again, not concern himself about the actions and works of others. Let him review his own heart, his own conduct in the light of God's word. You know what? When we start pointing fingers at others, it's a good time to look in the mirror. Because when I examine my own life before God, I realize I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. Every single time. Amen? And I don't get so judgmental and self-righteous and arrogant and conceited and starting to think I'm something. Instead, I ought to examine myself, my own work, and then I'll have rejoicing in myself alone, in my own salvation, in my own intimate, intimate fellowship with God, not by comparing myself to another. You know what? My joy doesn't come because I think God grades on the curve and I'm in the top half. Because we know God doesn't grade on the curve, He grades at the cross, amen? And because He grades at the cross, I can have joy in my intimate fellowship with Him that has nothing to do with how I size or measure up in someone else's eyes. 
And that's what this verse is about. Examine myself, my own work, see my own shortcoming before God, but to know that I have rejoicing in Himself alone, in myself alone, that it comes from the Lord, that the peace and the joy is based on my walk and God's grace, not my failures or the approvals of others. It says, for each one will bear his own burden. Now, this is not contradicting verse 2 where it says, bear one another's burdens. It's a different word. And what it means is every one of us will be accountable before God one day. Now, we're to reach out and lift up others' burdens, but know this at the same time, that the Bible doesn't tell us that we should call out for others to come take ours. We need to be other-centered, amen? And realize that we will stand before Almighty God one day. And this, work, this verse speaks of individual accountability before the Lord that we'll each have to answer to God for our own sin. You're not going to stand there with your parents or your neighbors or your friends and be compared to them. You're going to be standing there with the Lord and be compared to Him. Amen? Amen. But praise God, the Father is going to see those you've been born again through the blood of the Son. He's going to see you righteous. And He's going to see you holy. And He's going to see you forgiven the holy spirit in action puts the flesh to death is evident how it treats others is evident in how we look at ourselves we're going to finish this up verse six let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches guess what else the holy spirit evident in our life does it impacts how we give and it says in this verse and you know if you're new to calvary chapel i want to make it really clear you'll notice we didn't even pass an offering you know why because we believe where god guides god provides And I don't want anybody ever to give because they were manipulated by a man. That being said, we should not apologize for the word. And it says right here, Let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. And again, coming from your pastor, it sounds self-serving, but here's the thing. We are to support in ministry those who feed us spiritually. We're to support financially those who minister to us spiritually. That's what this verse says. We send our kids to school and we pay the teacher. To teach them the alphabet, right? Because they've given their life to teach our kids. And the same is true for missionaries and pastors and those in ministry who've given their lives to ministering to us spiritually that we are to support them financially so they can minister to us spiritually full time. That's what this verse says. Pretty straightforward. Verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. You can't fool God, you guys. You can go out and pretend like you're planting seed in the ground, and God's going to know. The farmer might think you're doing something because you've got a tractor out there and the sprinklers go on, right? But if you don't put... And again, these verses are so abused today, aren't they? Plant your seed. And they always want you to plant the seed in their garden. Have you ever noticed that? Send us your $1,000 seed offering. Now, that's not what he's talking about. But you know what? What we sow to will produce... What will... We'll, Again, bring forth a crop. So if we sow to spiritual things, we'll reap spiritual fruit. And if we sow to fleshly things, we'll reap, as it says, corruption. Look at the next verse. For he who sows to his flesh of the flesh will reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit of the Spirit will reap everlasting life. So what you invest in, what you sow to, will produce a fruit. Let me ask you a question. What are you investing your time and resources into? Just think of that yourself. Is it temporal things or is it eternal? We, gotta have, we need to have jobs, amen? We need to provide for our family. But you know what? God's the provider. And I want you to know that where you work, you're first a witness and you're second a construction worker. 
You're first a witness and second a mechanic. And you go there, first a witness and second a full-time mom. But when you go to that work environment, that's why you're there ultimately. And may you be investing in that which is eternal, not just, again, slaving for things which are temporal. The man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And letting go of things of this world to invest more in the eternal is wisdom. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We should not grow weary in well-doing. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, again, gives us endurance. We must be patient. We must not lose heart. How many of you have somebody been praying for for many years and you've almost given up? Raise your hand. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep praying. Don't lose heart. Keep praying. Is God faithful? We pray in our time. God answers in His time. Amen? And His timing is perfect. Don't lose heart. Don't grow weary while doing good. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. Let us do good to all. Let us minister to all. But notice it says, pay special attention of those within the body of Christ. Some are going to struggle with that. So we should pay more attention to somebody in our church than we said to someone. Yes, we should. That's what this verse says. We should begin here. Amen? Now, we should minister to all. We should reach out to all. We should be involved in reaching out to the, the victims of the hurricane and things like that. But it should begin here first. We get phone calls at the church office every week from people, and the first question we ask them is, where do you fellowship? Where, where are you in church? Do you know the Lord? Now, we help people who don't know God, but I'll tell you what, we're quicker to help people who belong to the body, who are here, who we know where their heart is. Who we know, again, where their walk is, with the Lord. The Holy Spirit in action puts the flesh to death. It impacts how we treat others, how we look at ourselves, how we give, and lastly, in whom we glory. Look what it says in verse 11. See that I see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. This could be a tip off that Paul, he's now writing in his own hand. Usually he dictated his letters. As he's writing in his own hand, many believe that he wrote in large letters because he had eye problems. You know, it's thorn in the flesh that's never revealed. We don't know for sure. Others believe he wrote in big letters to emphasize what he was writing. I don't know for sure, but he's writing with his own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they might not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. He's talking again about the legalist who came in and told them they need to be circumcised to stand right with God. And the reason they were doing it is they wanted to show everyone else that they had control. They wanted to show everybody else that they were able to make these Gentiles follow the law. And they wanted to be able to boast in it. They wanted the Jews to look upon them favorably and the other legalists to look upon them favorably. He says the reason they did that, they didn't want to have to face the persecution of standing on the cross of Christ alone. You know what, when we stand on the cross of Christ alone, we're going to be persecuted sometimes. People think you're out of your mind when you say Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. But it's a fact, amen? Again, good works are good things, but you know what, good works will not save us. Okay, let's finish up, because I can't do four verses next week. Where are you guys going anyway? You're not watching football. Let's, verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has, cru- has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Here's the thing, you guys. Here's a clear contrast between Paul's motives and those of the legalist. The legalist wanted to be popular with men, and, the, and Paul simply wanted to glorify Christ. How do you know if you're walking in the Spirit or if you're walking in the flesh? If you're walking in the flesh, you're seeking the praise of men. And if you're walking in the Spirit, you only want that He would be glorified. And that's Paul's whole point here, is that God alone would be glorified as new creations in Christ. And again, circumcision or a lack of circumcision is not the answer. The answer is simply where we stand with the Lord as new creations in Him. And now he closes out this most exhortive letter talking about, again, the fruit of the Spirit and the willingness to endure difficulty. As many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. He says there, as many as walk according to His rule, the gospel of grace, what He's been teaching them. Those who listen to the gospel of grace, peace and mercy be upon them. Those who follow legalism, burdens and condemnation will follow. If you're trying to be good enough, you're going to walk around condemned most of the time. He says there, let no one trouble me with the false doctrines of legalism, but return to the true gospel of grace, for I bear the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had been scourged. Paul had been stoned. He'd been hungry. He'd been cold. He'd been imprisoned. He'd been shipwrecked. And yet he continued to serve God. That's someone walking in the Spirit. Amen? How does a guy keep going? Because he's walking in the Spirit. And then I love how he ends. He ends with the word brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Again, he doesn't say brethren, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your flesh. He says be with your spirit. Amen? If we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit. We saw it identified and then we saw it applied. The Holy Spirit in action puts the flesh to death. It impacts how we treat others. It impacts how we look at ourselves. It impacts how we give in who we glorify and then what we're willing to endure. Lord, help us to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for Your love and Your grace and Your infinite mercy. And Lord, help us to realize that without You we are nothing. Keep us in a place of being desperate for You at all times. And Lord, as we walk in Your Spirit, may our lives be fruitful. Lord, as we get to those times when we begin to walk in our flesh, bring conviction to draw us back where we need to be. Keep us broken, Lord. Keep us desperate. May we be the men and women after Your own heart. And Lord, it's all because we want people to know You. We want people to see a reflection of You in us. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.